This is a humble man recording. Scano, Sego, Ani, you're listening to the Red Road Podcast with Courtney Skye and Hayden King. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Hayden. This is take two. We just had a five-minute-long conversation and realized the uh, podcast podcast device was not recording. Thankfully, though, we spent most of that time uh, alienating most of our listeners. So <laughs> no, just the Cree and Métis ones. Yeah, it's fine. This is you know probably for the best. It is definitely <laughs> for the best that that didn't make it onto the air. <laughs> but it's cold on the Red Road. We're talking about that. We're talking about pothole season. Well, we ta- started talking about it, how it was be- it was cold in, in in Toronto on the Red Road tonight, and that very quickly turned into talking about <laughs> the nations with the coldest hearts. Yes. Uh, I guess we could do a whole podcast about that, but mm-hmm. we would lose basically all of our listeners. And all of our friends. And all of our friends. But you know, uh, maybe it's the white people that tune in for that kind of stuff. Oh, I feel like the white people stop listening. If you're a white person and you're still listening to this podcast, I'm disappointed in you. Hey, <laughs> somebody out there nominated us. The Red Road Podcast, Courtney Sky and Hayden King, with all our shit-talking white people <laughs> and Crees and Métis, for a podcasting award. Yeah, Canadian Podcast Award. So, who do you think that did that? I don't know. I feel like whoever did it was doing it to troll us, because we definitely had that, an entire episode about how awards suck, <laughs> and recognition <laughs> is a tool of colonialism. I yeah. Well, we said that I think it was our one of our first episodes. Res, what was it called? Res, repi, res, representation. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. It was about representational politics, and we were saying, you know, like all of the attention that these indigenous artists and writers and um, all of these amazing people that are doing incredible work, for the most part, are getting all this wild recognition. Um, from Canadians, like Indians win basically every award these days mm-hmm. uh, in Canada. At least and that's a good thing, and it's deserved. But there's also probably some, you know, charity recognition politics happening there that needs to be unpacked a little bit. Guilt. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that white Canadians have a little bit more. There's 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 a little bit more going on there than just than just guilt. Like they're. But anyway, we talked about that in, I think, like our second episode or something. Yeah. And uh, it's worthwhile if any of the judges are listening to revisit that episode. I don't know Voters, which judge. I don't know. I think it yeah. might be a popularity contest. Oh, well, we're definitely losing then. Yeah. So it's fine. There are many other fine podcasts nominated that we will gladly lose to. So uh, Media Indigena is on the list of uh, podcasts that are also nominated in the category of indigenous podcast issues indigenous issues issues, yeah which is a thing on itself you know like should there be a category for indigenous issues Mm -hmm. you know do you feel proud winning the indigenous anything award I will gladly accept any cash award (laughs) is there cash associated with this one probably not um, the Huffington great, Post great. did their best podcast um, awards for 2019, 
and then told all of their winners that if they wanted to license the HuffPost brand for winning the podcast award or that award or whatever recognition, that they would have to pay $2,500 for the rights to advertise their acknowledgement, which seems like extortion. Yeah, that's a little, uh, ooh, well, that's not happening in this case. Well, we'll see. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Media Indigenous, uh, one of our fellow nominees, mm -hmm. uh, Rick Harp and the crew over there, people like Brock Pitawanaquad and Kim Tallbear and Ken Williams all do great, fantastic work. Um, making some money over at Media Indigenous. I feel like mm -hmm. they're making some money over there. Yeah, they've uh, figured out how to monetize their podcast. They could pay for that nomination. We have not. They could pay for that award. We have not. Um, How much money have we made from this podcast? We've made nothing. I think you owe me money for this podcast. <laughs> we're, right. We're not very good business podcast for business people. If any resource extraction company would like to sponsor our podcast, no, 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 no. please email us no, 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 at redroadpodcast.gmail.com. Uh, Brought to you by <laughs> We did have an episode talking about that, though, actually. And I am forgetting what episode it was where we were discussing getting RCMP money, I think, to sponsor yes. our podcast. Oh my gosh. This is like the best, like greatest hits of the Red Road podcast. <laughs> well, if the judges or not judges who are listening to our, our our most recent podcast, they can go back and look at our all our, listen to all our past episodes. Yes. They do encourage people to like look at other, look at, review the things. So what I did review learn, review episodes, review the podcast before voting. What I have learned subsequently is that it's from our peers, so you have to be associated with a podcast to be able to vote for the podcast awards, which is very cool, I think, you know, there's a podcast community coming so together for a thing. So, does that mean that we get to vote? Yes. Do huh. you vote? <laughs> the subject of uh, probably two Red Road podcasts, <laughs> one in season one and one in season two. Yeah. Um, I, I should look into this mm -hmm. because in addition to Media Indigena, there's also Red Man Laughing, mm -hmm. um, which is run by Ryan McMahon, um, who has, I'm not entirely sure, does he have a podcasting empire or independent media empire? I, I don't know. Like, I, I Ryan does a lot of stuff. He's a maker, but I, does you know, he oh, well, that's a good, I, I, I think so. I mean, I've worked on, I did Stories of the Land with Ryan and, uh. Yeah. It was a really wonderful podcast. I think there was a second second season of that, but uh, I'm not sure. I can't believe you've done two podcasts and don't listen to any podcasts. <sighs> I I just said I listen to Media Indigenous sometimes. Oh, sometimes. Well, yeah. I'm on Media Indigenous sometimes. You are, yeah. Do you only listen to the episodes that you're on? <laughs> no, I'm like Adam Driver. I have meltdowns when I listen to my own voice or see myself on um, television, which is like very um, anti Leo. <laughs> it's anti Leo, but it's very Nishnabek. Yeah. <laughs> um, so another is called Mi'kmaq Matters. And I got to be honest, I think uh, our Mi'kmaq relatives are doing incredible things, but I actually haven't heard of this podcast. I haven't heard of this podcast either, so I'm excited to listen to an episode of it. I like that I'm being introduced to new podcasts via the Canadian Podcasting Awards. And then there, the final one in this category is uh, Still Here, stu Still Healing. Um, and uh, again, that's another, uh, another new, new uh, 
introduced to another new podcast, so mm-hmm. really keen to uh, to check that out as well. Yeah. So, um, well, I, did, I never thought we'd be here. No. I didn't think we'd make it past, like, the first five episodes. We've really done, like, a podcast milestone because, like, I think the most podcasts, like, end after the first five or ten episodes, whatever. So we've really, like, stuck to it. We've really, like, we're creating our own little empire here. Well, we were, we put on an episode, a podcast this morning from, uh, an Indigenous podcast this morning and then realized it was a year old and it was the only one. So to your point, I guess that's true. <laughs> Although we have been a little bit neglectful, I feel, you know, we're, as we've said in the last couple of podcasts, we're commuting together a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, I thought our last episode was a disaster. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. People really liked it. Uh, I okay, all right. I'm glad to hear that feedback, but I, 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 th- I don't know. What I was, you know. Com- I only listen to feedback from my close friends who would cheer me on regardless of what I do, which is probably not the kind of like ego boost that someone with so much Leo on their charts needs. But I enjoy it, so here we are. Well, thank you to uh, those listeners who give us feedback when we do really shitty podcasts. And uh, so, all right, so we got to stop right now because our battery is zero, 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 zero bars. And um, we'll be back in just one second. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're back. We're back. Right. We're back. So, that would have been a great time to read an ad for this podcast. Right, our non existent mm-hmm. crowdsource revenue. Um, but also, you know, go, I, I guess we should say we just had to stop the podcast because the batteries ran out of our podcast device, which, uh, required new batteries. And so we just pulled over to the side of the road to the gas station, and picked up new batteries. This is how high tech our operation is. Yeah. This is how coordinated we are. Our sound tech. So I should say like, we don't do any of the editing for this podcast that that's all done by eric at like humble man so there's that how do we get back on the highway (laughs) after the lights after the lights after the lights okay sorry i've never gotten off of this exit before we literally just like went to a gas station and i don't know how to get us back on the highway it's like the ojibwe path of life you know sometimes you uh (laughs) take exits on the red road you never know what's gonna where it's gonna lead you and you got to get back on Go back, retrace your steps, get back on the path of light. I'm gonna make Eric add some flute music in the background. <laughs> you, yes, okay. Spirituality. All right, yeah. Flute, flute music is banned from uh, my entire existence. So, yeah, that's our, that's our. So, if we had, if we had advertisements, we could probably pay our humble man recording something. You yeah. Know, to do all the work that he does for us mm-hmm. beyond family obligations yeah he's my cousin so he has to do it and um yeah we as far as our the sophistication of our operation i think everyone else has got us beat see the thing is though i think our sound our podcast sounds great and if you're impressed with the audio of this podcast it is all eric's doing his um both his ability to like create this mobile studio for us but also his skill in whatever he works on so if we win this award yeah uh we should definitely give it to eric 
I don't even think it's a physical award. What? I I want like a trophy. What if we win nothing? Like a medal, like a treaty medal. <laughs> like one of the, with the ribbon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the Olympics, if you got a like a ribbon, a medal on a ribbon, would you like bite it? You know. Or because it's Canadian, would you deny it? No, a colleague of mine won uh, a fancy award because mm-hmm. uh, she had the best dissertation in, you know, mm-hmm. in her field, and they gave her like a big golden medal. And you definitely you open the case and you have there's this impulse to bite it. Are there? Is mm-hmm. it like native kids just have those giant gold dollars in their Christmas stockings and? One is that of what the like, instinct is? Or? One of the most like repulsive things to me is the idea of putting coins in your mouth. That yeah, to me yeah, gives yeah, me yeah. the worst kind of like heebie-jeebies. So like that to me, I have no no energy for that. Yeah. All right. So no medals to bite. Uh, who knows? Whatever we get, we get <laughs> we get something. It's going to Eric uh, because the only sophistication in this operation is on Eric's end. We are just we get into a car, we talk shit about. <laughs> Whatever happens to be on our minds at the particular moment, yeah. uh, and then we get nominated for awards. Yeah. In our podcast device, you should see this car. We should actually put a photo on our on our Twitter or or, or, or something. It just shows all the wires and tape that is crisscrossing this Honda yeah. right now. It's a Hyundai. Sorry, Hyundai. And also, you're our sound tech too. You've gained a new skill. Yeah. Add that to your CV. Right, 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 right. So I'm definitely not getting nominated in any tech awards. We uh, <laughs> we were recording for five minutes without actually recording. <laughs> I already forgot about that. Forgot to put batteries. I just went into the gas station to get batteries, and I walked into the gas station without the batteries. And the guy had to knock on the window. Hey, you forgot your batteries. <laughs> really... Really on top of shit. This is what happens if you record on the way home. I know, like it's nine thirty. I've worked for fourteen hours today, and now I'm, you know, mm-hmm. expected to be entertaining or something, and remember what I go into convenience stores for. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, all right. Well, we'll see what happens. I guess mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So, what else is going on in the world of Indians? Um. Wow. Well, it's a big week. Obviously, we're uh, big, big, big. I mean, really awful week, I guess you could say, um, because we've got a group of Wet'suwet'en um, out near Smithers, BC, and Unistaten territory that are trying to prevent the uh, coastal gas link pipeline from crossing their lands without their permission, without their consent. Um, and last year, almost a year to the day, um, about 53 weeks ago uh, they were doing the same thing and the RC the, the company got an injunction the RCMP enforced the injunction very violently removing uh, Wet'suwet'en and uh, folks uh, from another clan's territory and their allies and supporters in a very awful way and then uh, basically acting as mercenaries for the company's uh, construction workers and now uh, despite ongoing conversations between the Wet'suwet'en and, and, and uh, at the company to, you know, mitigate some of the harm, uh, the the Wet'suwet'en at, at Unistat and Unistat and Clan have decided that they've had enough and that there's a little bit too much uh, harm being done and they've evicted the company, mm-hmm. which I think is a powerful assertion of Indigenous jurisdiction. But mm-hmm. 
Now we are at the point in time where the company has a permanent injunction against those blocking the uh, construction of this pipeline and, and the RCMP are once again on the verge of enforcing it, which means uh, another conflict between native people on unceded land and um, some aspect of some element of Canadian military apparatus. So that's uh, that's that's sort of what uh, is dominating, I think, most of our our discussions. You know, you know. Yeah. So that's unfortunate, mm-hmm. and um, you know we have all this conversation once again. I feel like every time we have one of these situations, it's just uh, well, there goes reconciliation. Ah, shucks, reconciliation is dead. All these sort of questions around like the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People and Section 35 of the Constitution and new progressive governments that are elected that are friendly to Native people. Um, And then it's just, you know, disappointment and cynicism. And it's, there's there's a, this is like an axiom now. It's like a pattern that is so well-worn and so entrenched uh, that you think you're making some kind of incremental change. I mean, a month ago, you know, you had Native leaders you know, not not the Wet'suwet'en and uh, uh, hereditary chiefs that are opposing this pipeline and trying to enforce their content, consent by, I don't think by a significant stretch, but other indigenous leaders, First Nation leaders in BC that are like, you know, the Horgan government and the provincial NDP government's amazing and this new Bill C-41, the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples Bill is a revolutionary thing that's gonna shake up the landscape in Canada. Um, and now we, here we are, like a month later, a month later, you know, we're right back here. Yeah. Colonization continues. It's ongoing, right? And I feel like this is one of those instances where... You couldn't feels... have said that in a more exhausting tone <laughs> of voice. I know. Con- yeah, colonization yeah. goes colonization on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else are you going to say? It's, it's and... colonizers for you. <laughs> and we are actively being colonized and we are actively going through these things. And so it's kind of like that Pikachu meme where it's like you're shocked, but you shouldn't be shocked. And you're kind of just like, oh, my God. But it seems like there are few and far opportunities for Indigenous people to actually feel like we've made progress or we've advanced in any way. And any kind of thing that you win feels like something subsequent to it happens. And you take all of these steps backwards and you're constantly fighting and we are constantly having to reassert ourselves and re-strategize and realign our activities and you know evolve our, our as people to continue to adapt to what's being forced upon us in our communities. And so there's this, you know, it's a, what the millionth instance of indigenous people trying to be eradicated and forcibly removed from their territories and displaced. And it's like, how do you continue to find? will to fight and try to outmaneuver what's happening to you in your territory yeah and it's yeah i think you're yeah. you're i mean it all follows almost identically the same formula you know like company x goes into indigenous territory uh indigenous people say hold on a second you need to have a conversation with us company access to the province these people are a little bit uppity you know we want our timber our, our diamonds our our natural gas 
then the province says, okay, have an injunction. Then the RCMP comes, they serve the injunction, it ends in con, or it results in conflict rather, sometimes physical, sometimes people die. Uh, and then we write op-eds in the Globe and Mail and say, I can't believe this happened. And let's put this in historical context. Uh, and then the same newspaper, and I'm thinking about the Globe and Mail here, writes a hawkish editorial that's like, consent really wasn't a good idea. We should have thought this through in the first place. Why is it so difficult for companies to ram through these projects that are going to be beneficial to uh, the national interest? And then, you know, that goes on in the public square for a little bit. And then more often than not, the, the there's more conflict and displacement. And and I think in all of these processes, you do see indigenous strategies change um, by increments. And there are cases about maneuvering, definitely, where where communities are figuring out ways to to get around this. But uh, you know, in this case, it's a it's a big project. It's a it's a it's a really big project. And so um, the threat is 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 significant. But but the trend, the pattern, is also just so common you just see it over and over again and i gotta wonder like about canadians you know like do canadians realize this pattern is happening or is colonial amnesia so embedded that they they experience or hear of maybe one or two of these cases and then completely forget about it yeah i don't think because the thing too is that like do you think any Canadians remember Caledonia and Donostado? Do you think they remember no. Ipperwash? Do you think they remember I don't think Oka? they remember it. I don't think they make these connections. And I don't think they feel relationality in the same way that we do. I don't think they connect to other people in the same way that we do. And I think that, like, when we talk about the things that happened, like, I, I remember in my body and in my being, like, the trauma of, like, what happened to my community and being involved in, like, you know, what happened in Caledonia and feeling the fear and seeing riot police march on you. Like, I have those memories. And so I have this, you know, I empathize so much with other communities, other territories, when they go through that and they experience that same fear and pain. And so in ways in which all these different places become forgettable for Canadians, they are re-traumatizing to Indigenous people in a completely different way. And so we become like connected to one another and organizing and amplifying each other's voices and and redirecting you know community resources around other communities when this is happening to them because these are the people in communities that came to support us when these things were happening to us so there's that reciprocity and this kind of like you know fucked up upness of us all having to resist different forms and iterations of colonialism wherever they take place and it's tiring and also I feel like what becomes a catalyst for being able to do this again and again and continuing to be indigenous in the face of complete attempts to eradicate you is that connection, right? Is that, is the recognizing the worth that our culture and places and ceremonies have that colonialism can't replace and doesn't offer any kind of like meaningful alternative for us in that sense right like completely bereft of depth and soul 
<laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> uh, all of that is true. And I, I mean, I think what you're saying provides a lot of the rationale for why Indigenous people push through that cynicism. You know, there's really no choice. You know, push through the exhaustion and just keep going and keep, keep supporting each other in whatever way that we can. But I wonder about the amnesia that we also experience, maybe. You know, I think about those people that I'm talking about who just a month ago were saying, like, new NDP government, you know, changes here. Um, obviously, maybe not, hey, reconciliation finally, but, you know, is it like, it almost seems like in some cases, we are just so starved to have that, uh, you know, partner in negotiation and dialogue and a partner in ending violence uh, that, you know, do we forget? Are we like, constantly being fooled by these governments that are learning our languages and um, you know telling us things about consent and and because uh, that seems to happen as well yeah I think that like I think there is an inclination or a, a desire for people that have worked for a long time to develop policy especially the people that are like co-developing policy right now with like governments to actually like complete those projects or complete that work and then say like, yeah, this is going to function how we intend for it to function. But that often isn't the case. And that these kind of like pieces that form incremental change or for communities sustain them in kind of like piecemeal ways where like, different communities are you know applying to different projects and receiving funding for a bunch of different initiatives that play a small role in the sustainability of that culture whether it be like language or daycare or whatever um that that is what can feel like progress sometimes and can feel meaningful and we kind of like lose sight of like the ability to be to really see like what would be truly self-sufficiency what would truly be exercise exercising jurisdiction and do we settle for well, things that are like lesser than because it feels like my work my life has to have been for something you know like i think about like work projects that i've worked on where we argued and negotiated with the government and got like a hundred million dollars in funding and then you see that funding going to communities and you see women able to like make a life for themselves outside of like violent home situations and you think yeah that made some kind of difference for some people but has it wholesale eradicated violence in our community no 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 no, no. and i don't want to get drawn into the structural yeah. debate that yeah. we've had or conversation we've had about you know like yeah. settler colonialism has to end all or nothing like we recognize that settler colonialism and indigenous resistance happen along a spectrum through time and space and along many, many different tracks. And sometimes there's, um, you know, incremental change. Sometimes there's more uh, transformative change. But when it comes to this specific case, like the relationship between industry, government, military or police and indigenous people, like the, the pattern there is so remarkably similar. Um, and, you know, I think that we would probably settle for, hey, just don't send in that RCMP with their riot gear and dogs and sniper rifles. Um, but I say that, 
you know, realizing that I, that I was just talking about reconciliation, which yeah. can be pretty general. And there's the idea too, that like, there are different areas where progress is made and areas where, you know, progress, pro- indigenous progress is held back. Right. And assertions of jurisdiction over land are the spaces where it's held back the most. Whereas like things that are like kind of like soft skills or things that are like very expensive for the federal government or any government to administer for indigenous people, we can kind of take control over that. We can take over all the liability for all the costs of all those projects. Like when it comes to child welfare, you know, like it's viewed differently. And a lot of times it comes from like a gender bias where things that are seen as like more feminine are therefore lesser than. And so we'll give Indians control over those kinds of things. And right, then, right, right, but right, 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 when right, it comes right. to things that are viewed to be more substantive and more meaningful, like say a pipeline, or just you have less ability to assert control over the situations. Land, like yeah. jurisdiction over land. I mean, this is the federal government's MO, right? Yeah. We'll give you some hard services. We'll give you control over programs. You can control uh, your election services. code of your band Exactly. You, and you may even be able to deliver some child welfare. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And it's taken so long to get to that point. But then you talk about land and the conversation is entirely uh, unique and, and uh, almost alone, I think, in, in some ways. And then while this is happening, south of uh, uh, Wet'suwet'en territory, you have uh, Helsa grandfather taking his granddaughter to open a bank account um, for quote-unquote reconciliation money uh, in a HealthSick federal government agreement and then the bank is skeptical of these Indians and calls up security, calls 911, puts them both in handcuffs for the, uh, the co- call the cops, the cops show up, they put the, they put them in handcuffs without apparently asking a question. Um, and then, you know, they t- spend five minutes with a 12 year old handcuff beside a cop car or whatever. And uh, realize, oh, they're just trying to open a bank account. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's not as disconnected maybe as I'm making it seem. Like the racism that we're talking about happens at the structural level and happens around land and jurisdiction, but it also happens in like downtown Vancouver trying to open a goddamn bank account. Yeah, did you see the other one about the, it came out today of the woman who went through. TSA, the Native woman who had like long braids. Yeah, Tara, the, Tara, uh, uh, And then they snapped Sorry if her I'm braids. That. Yes, yes, I don't even want to talk yeah. about this story because like, it's so, it's, yeah, it's messed up. And it's man. like, there's all these different instances, and we can think of like in the last week, these instances of racism, of dehumanization, of indignity towards indigenous people trying to go about an average mundane life. You know, it's so infuriating and it's so frustrating. And it's really hard to think about like, how do we, I amazingly continue to endure this, but also like exponentially more frustrated with white people and like non-indigenous people who refuse to acknowledge or refuse to act on the severity of these situations. Yeah, well, BMO, you know, to the credit of the journalist that broke the story, Angela Starrett, you know, she just kept on going after the bank who refused to comment on the story for over a week. Mm-hmm. And then finally, they issue a press release today 
and they say, you know, we've uh, got an issue obviously and uh, we're going to create an indigenous advisory council and they decide to, you know, I think their council is eight people, seven of them are chiefs and, you know, six yeah. of them are men or, uh, yeah. and you know, that's, that's fine. You know, BMO, you want to get native people in positions mm -hmm. of leadership, but honestly, you know, is that really that perspective, though, that perspective in particular going to capture the experiences of um, people in vulnerable uh, uh, situations being exposed to shit like this? I, I, I'm not entirely sure. So I think what's interesting both about Coastal Gaslink and uh, BMO's reactions are the public relations campaign. You know, I mentioned Coastal Gaslink on Twitter and I'm getting promoted tweets by Coastal Gaslink saying how wonderful their relationships are with Native people. BMO gets called out for this. They spend a week strategizing on what their response is and they they they, they offer to Canadians because that's the target audience around this, even though they might it might appear to be Native people. They really want to speak to the, the Canadians with that reconciliatory mentality that they're doing something about this. Bring a bunch of chiefs over. Bring a bunch of men over. I mean, the, the, the responses, even though they're, you know, obviously connected in many ways, different circumstances, remarkably similar reactions, responses, to try to cover their asses yeah. uh, for what's a structural thing. And, you know, like, I had a little bit of a interesting experience this week when Paul Martin stopped by my office. <laughs> I'm so glad you're telling this story. Well, I... <laughs> So there, Paul Martin, Canada's whatever, <laughs> prime minister. Yeah, prime minister. This guy's prime minister, former prime minister. Um, Two thousand and I think he was in power. When, when, uh, oh, Jesus Christ. Two thousand and seven. He got yeah. uh, he got the boots. He's in there for yeah. almost two terms, term and a half. Yeah. Wow, so, my uh, Canadian political history is not really. Uh, so and, the, can I? So the, I saw Paul Martin speak like a year ago and this man acts like Kelowna actually happened like he acts like that policy no. that did not get implemented he acts like it was the best thing ever yes and like oh my gosh this thing almost happened like if I got to make a continue to make a career off of ideas I had that never got implemented like <laughs> the caucasity of an old white man to continue to do that and represent a, you know a failed idea as something that's still worth mentioning this many uh -huh, years later uh -huh. is I very mean, frustrating. I think it was 2007, right? Am I wrong on this? But I think the Colonial Corps was 2007. I mean, that's a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really ultimately just an agreement between the AFN mm -hmm. and the federal government and eventually the provinces came on board to provide effectively, you know, hard services again, because that's what Canada, you know, well, we'll fund your infrastructure, mm -hmm. but, you know, talk about jurisdiction and, you know, that's it, you know. So Paul Martin came to tell you you're such a good Indian. He told, oh, God damn it. Uh, this is why I don't want to tell this story. Uh, because yes, I, well, to be, to be fair to myself, Paul Martin came by and uh, he told me that I was impressive, but I was, I was harsh, you know, so a good Indian with, you know, potential, I guess. Mm -hmm. A bad Indian with potential to be a good Indian. Because, oh, give me yeah. that, please. Yeah, give me that. Give me yeah, that. Yeah, give me yeah that. okay, fine. Bad Indian, uh, good I could be recuperated. I'm an Indian yes. that could be, but to be honest, I don't really know if Paul Martin's really thinking at that level. You know, I think he he's just trying to find indigenous allies to support the work that he's doing post uh, post politics, and maybe I was on his list. I don't know because we actually he called me up on the phone a couple of years ago, 
but I don't think he remembers calling me up on the phone. <laughs> so he showed up. He's like, nice to meet you. Uh, you know, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. And I, I didn't want to tell him, like, we actually talked a couple years ago about education. Um, and that call ended abruptly when he didn't like what I had to say. Yeah. So he apparently didn't remember that. I didn't mention it to him that we, because I didn't mm-hmm. know what, you know, was going on in Paul Martin's mind. At, Do you think the mustache the threw him off? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's sort of like... <laughs> Uh, yeah okay I have a mustache right now thanks for our list our, our listeners do not see the mustache but uh, I really can sense it <laughs> it's got its own aura it's uh, its own energy that's right that's right you're a lot more punchy. I feel like you gotta have mustache. you gotta have a, some, uh, you know you gotta have something to try, try to grow a mustache as a, Does it as have a native a name? man a mustache yeah. I don't know mustache what do you call it Brayden uh, Brayden this is well, I'm glad I started talking about Paul Martin. <laughs> yes. So you are a reformable Indian. You can be saved. I could be a recu- I think all Indians are capable of being recuperated, you know, and uh, there are according to, to you know, mm-hmm. according to individuals like this. And so, yeah, we had a conversation. But what was remarkable about the conversation um, mm-hmm. was, yes, like lots of Kelowna was revolutionary mm-hmm. and it would have changed everything. And, you know, I'm, you know, he was salty about how things ended for his political career and kill the Indian, uh, save the man. Yeah. But mm-hmm. very much a sort of civilizing discourse, right? Like recognizing like bad shit happened and um, but at the same time, like we need business education in native communities and it needs to be delivered in the same way that it's delivered to Canadians and you know, we try to do good work, but the Indians can't get along with each other and you know that sort of uh, that sort of uh, the dialogue which you know, I don't know if this is an example of even the Canadians that you're talking about who need to step up and just can't. You know, it's part of that colonial amnesia that we're that we're talking about. But in this case, it's like this is an individual that has been in politics, screwed up massively, you know, introduced the two percent cap, you know, um, got out of politics, saw the light, wanted to work on behalf of native people, has continued to do it for over a decade. And supported, you know, a lot of programs and initiatives in communities, but still has this particular mentality of, you know, mm-hmm. civilization. Yeah. Um, it makes my skin crawl. It really frustrates me. And can white people just leave us alone? Like, can they just leave us alone? Well. In a little bit of way. Like, can we design, you know, can we determine how does our own future? Like, obviously not. Yeah. There's this yeah. base level of like dehumanization that exists to all of this, where where indigenous people are viewed as being incompetent, as opposed to being just basic human beings with the right to decide for themselves. You anything. know, I I'm gonna cite a, a bunch of men right now, so this is you know take take it for what you will, but you know I think about what Descartes had to say, what. Vine Deloria had to say, what Harold Cardinal had to say, and each of them, like these giants in indigenous thought who have influenced me, and I think a lot of other other people, have all said in their work, you know, we'd be better off if you left us alone. Um, you know, we need a cultural leave us alone agreement. I mean, these are direct quotes. For, and, you know, 1923, uh, you know, 1969, 1970, 1985 I mean like it just comes up over and over again and and 
and what you're saying, I think people have been saying for a long time, but the, the answer is no. You know, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Even when you tell them to get lost, the answer is no. They keep coming back, man. Not this one. No, okay. it's the next road. So, okay. uh, anyway, <sighs> you know, we started out really uh, positively talking about the awards. You know, and we actually started talking about white people in awards. So how does that fit into our analysis here? You know, white people are giving us award. Is it part of settler colonial capture? Is it, you know, are the podcast award adjudicators? We don't want them to leave us alone now, right? I mean, like, you're all about this award. On, I, like, yeah, you're right. 10 seconds away from being like, this podcast is the best <laughs> idea I ever had. When, meanwhile, in, like, the midst of, like, the first season, you were like, this is the worst idea ever. Why can't we be making me do this? Uh, and now look at us. It's like the mustache. The waxes it's, and wanes. I think this is the best thing. It's awful. Mustache. No mustache. It's crawling through your okay, face stop. into your brain. Stop, 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 stop. All right, we are, uh, we've arrived at our destination, at least my destination. So thank you for the lift. Yeah. All right, see you next time. Bye bye. Let's go, Grant. You've been listening to the Red Road Podcast, created by Courtney Sky and Hayden King, sounding audio editing by Humble Man Recording. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I've been driving in my Indian car to the pound of the wheels drumming in my brain. My dash is dusty, my plates are expired.